1: The Small Business Show on irishexaminer.com for a different view on Irish business.
0: Gay work, tortillas, pedagogy and cosmetics. It's The Small Business Show. Hello and welcome to the first small business show here on irishexaminer.com. We are here to talk about with and for small businesses here in Ireland and touching subjects which affect them and talking to business owners about how they found success in their business. And most of all, we want you to get something that you can use in your own business as well. So what's coming up on this week's show? Well, this week and every week on the show, Owen Daw from Irish Business Intelligence and Brian Cleary, Clonmel Chamber CEO, will be with us to talk about all the latest news for SMEs. And they'll be joining us in just a moment to talk about this week's news, which includes the issue of gay and lesbian bullying at work. And coming up in part two of the show, I talk to the first of three inspiring entrepreneurs on this week's show. First up is Philip Martin from Blanco Nino, a startup company looking to be the largest corn tortilla maker in Europe. And what's more, they're doing it hand in hand with Irish farmers as well. Part three is with a social entrepreneur, Natasha Haslam-Hopwood from Galti Clinic, talks about how they are using the process of pedagogy to help troubled kids and give them the help and inspiration they need to build positive foundations in themselves and their lives as well. And our final part of the show looks at Corora Cosmetics and Karen Brown explains how they have just broken into the US market and how they are looking at a 500 million euro target over the next decade. But first to this week's news with Owen Dahl from Irish Business Intelligence and Clonwell Chamber CEO Brian Cleary. And we start this week with bullying at work for gay and lesbian employees, Brian.
2: That's right, Keelan. Researchers at Trinity College Dublin have found that 30% of lesbian, gay and bisexual employees have been harassed at work and over 10% have quit their jobs because of discrimination. The report found that two out of three people surveyed were open about their sexual orientation at work and 90% of these reported no negative impact on their relationships with their colleagues. The research also found that employees who were out at work were more committed to their employer than employees who were not out. Respondents for the report spoke of the stress caused by having to conceal their sexual orientation at work with new employees, being twice as likely to not disclose their sexual orientation as longer-standing employees.
0: Yeah, no, and if we look at this, and I suppose in a little bit of a different way, that if this was perhaps race-related or you know, had a question of ethnicity about it and people were, were being bullied about our work. I mean, that is something that is wholly unacceptable in the workplace. And yet here we have a percentage of 30 percent, which is a very high percentage in, in all fairness inside in the workplace of people who are, are gay or lesbian and getting bullied at work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that really shook me was the, the high percentage, exactly as you say, you know, 30%, it's it's not it's not an insignificant number. I suppose fundamentally, and you, you know, you mentioned the whole question of race and ethnicity, you know, employers do actually have a duty of care to ensure that they create an environment that's conducive to, you know, being in a safe, stable employment relationship. And that that is a cultural issue as much as it is a policy issue. You know, this is part of a broader conversation that's happening. Within society at the moment, in the bottom line is we don't live in a homogenized world, everybody is different. Um, where it's creeping into the workplace, I suppose, is possibly that, you know, these attitudes that are currently starting to be discussed more openly are obviously quite redolent in the in the employment situation as well. So I suppose, you know, it really brings the question to the table for employers to ensure that they create a culture that is conducive to people being themselves, because as is said in this in this article, that employees who were out at work Work, were more committed to their employer than employees who were not so I suppose as I said it's about policy it's about ensuring that that duty of care to the employee is there and that you know really you know as I said we don't we're not we're not all automatons we're all different and that should be celebrated and and actually supported in work as opposed to creating these kinds of issues.
0: Yeah absolutely and uh, Brian Owen mentioned a duty of care there and it seems as if According to this report, anyway, that if employers show a duty of care to their employees who are uh, gay or lesbian, that those uh, gay or lesbian employees seem to work harder and appreciate working there more as well.
2: I I think a lot of it comes down to something I, I spoke to someone about recently. It's 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 almost that you know if you can be as an employee, you can be completely honest about who you are. You don't have to go into work every day and try to remember what front you're putting on. And as a result your your mental and creative energies aren't being sapped by trying to think of what's the answer, what did I tell that person and it comes back to that William Goldman book uh, which had one of the most amazing titles of a book ever, which lie did I tell, so when people are honest and they're true to themselves, they can just concentrate on the job at hand and in terms of employers, I think you know there's a lot of work to be done in this country still about how we deal with lgbt issues in the workplace uh, particularly in certain sectors in the industrial sector in the uh, in the construction and, and and other sectors that are predominantly male dominated that we need to look at how we ap- approach this issue and i think unfortunately as a country we still have a long long way to go however if you look at the strides that have been made in the last four or five years in terms of uh, we're discussing single-sex marriage we're discussing Mm. issues with regards we're having open conversations about homophobia even even recently i think we are coming a long way however as a country and as a business community there's still a a bit to go still but that doesn't just apply to ireland i worked in england for a, a number of years and there's there's an as unenlightened attitude in certain sectors as there is in those sectors in Ireland. So it's not a, a snipe at Irish people, it's, it's just uh, people in general.
0: Yeah, and as Brian said, there are steps uh, going forward to make that possible for uh, gay and lesbian employees uh, in the workplace as well. I'm going to move on now to our second story, surge in the use of video conferencing by SMEs, Brian.
2: Yes, surge in the use of video conferencing by SME has been predicted for 2014. Now, just 18% of Irish SMEs Currently use video conferencing, but more than a third of workers who work from home at least one day a month predict that video conferencing will increase over the next 18 months. The survey, which was carried out for O2 Ireland by Ignite Research, has identified the biggest growth area in business communications over the next 18 months will be email from tablets and smartphones.
0: Yeah, no, and if you turn it into a question of, I suppose, bottom line, video conferencing, where appropriate, of course, uh, can be good uh, money saver for a business in terms of travel costs as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's quite an interesting topic because I think as as we've seen over the last few years there's definitely been a shift in how people was adopt a working week. So not quite a not quite a surge here yet, but in in the states certainly you would see quite a significant increase in people working from home and teleconferencing into work. I think something like forty one percent of a of an upshift up between the nineties and the noughties. But in terms of doing business, I suppose yes. I mean, I think you know the increase in in available technology to allow you to to video conference, you know, internationally to doing business in the states or you know across continental Europe, or wherever else, it does definitely provide a better platform to do that and save costs, exactly as you say. However, I would be of the view, and I know we've discussed this fairly recently as well, that you can't beat the in-person contact. I think it makes a big difference to be able to actually sit down and have mm. that meeting with somebody. But you know, as this as this article is is pointing to, it's still only on the up on the upswing, so to speak, and uh, probably more technological changes over the next few years, we'll see definitely changes and, and possibly even bigger swell in how people uh, use technology to do business.
0: Yeah. And Brian, it's also allowed the expansion, I suppose, of the solidifying of business relationships with foreign businesses, being able to physically see a person, read their body language and I suppose digitally talk to them face to face.
2: Yeah, the whole face-to-face thing, I mean, we we can now actually do face-to-face meetings without actually being face-to-face, if you know what I mean. Um, I, I'm part of a group of chamber chief executives, that's an international group, and once a week there's a, a Google Hangout for these chief executives to have a discussion, and, you know... In the past, there would have been forums or there would have been, you know, round-robin emails. But the, the Google Hangout makes it a lot easier to see what's going on. And, and one of the great points about it is that we no longer have the issue of someone making their dinner while it's been on a conference call <laughs> because you can, be, you, can be absolutely, you can be seen. But it does make business a lot easier because especially when people go into uncharted territories of in the export world, and they want to see the whites of the eyes of the person that they're dealing with. That makes a big, big difference. And uh, body language definitely comes into it there. And and I think people are a lot more confident uh, about making that step into the unknown once they've had their Skype call or whatever. But at the, at the end of the day, let's... let's be honest you know we've all in the past I'm, I'm sure gotten into the car or gone on a train to go to dublin for a meeting that's lasted 25 minutes i think as a, as a country and as a business community we need to shift our mentality about these things and not be afraid to embrace something as bog standard and as easy to use as, as skype because it would make us a hell of a lot more efficient it's also you know in terms of the environment a lot more effective there as well but uh, in terms of our time I, I, I think we need to get a number of individuals to to buy into the whole idea that you don't have to have a tea, coffee and a croissant with someone to do business with them anymore. You can see them face to face on Skype.
0: Mm, Absolutely. yeah, And perhaps something that people can use in their business as well and work it more easily into their working day as well. And our final story of this week is, I suppose, a story that we have continued to have on this show and will continue to have on this show, I suspect, for quite some time to come. And it has to do with credit to SMEs, Brian, and the banking industry
2: look at the end of the day it's all about the money because the president of the European Investment Bank has warned that the credit shortage for small and mid-sized firms will probably worsen as a result of the tighter financial regulation in the banking union initiative. Werner Hoyer said that there were limitations on what the European Investment Bank could do and in the view of the EIB complaints from credit starved SMEs are not unique to Ireland and Mr Hoyer said and I quote it will probably get worse because the effects of banking regulation, banking union will be that it's going to get even more difficult for commercial banks to finance smes because the bureaucracy is enormous the appraisals of these projects are getting more and more difficult and the observation of new rules which banking regulations dictate is costly for the banks end quote
0: and Owen, oh, and there's a whole range of subjects uh, connected with this. First of all, let's start with, I suppose, what's been said here by uh, Mr. Hoyer. Regulations on banks too stringent. And I suppose that's one of the reasons why uh, less and less credit is getting to SMEs.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you say, this, this, this is a story we return to time and again, and it's certainly not going away for a reason. I mean, I think we probably need to look at the root of the issue here, which is the fact that it was lack of regulation that has created all this burden of regulation now. I mean, you know, during the during the, the Tiger years, you could go in probably with a business plan on the back of a fag packet and get money, whereas quite quite honestly, you know, that was never a good, that was never a good policy, obviously, but it has created a lot of attitudinal issues right now because people are, you know... Know, in a position where, quite honestly, they, they have to, you know, create good business pr- propositions and be able to show the, the validity of their business idea and really have done their homework. Now, as, as I said, we've returned to this a couple of times in the last, well, more than a couple of times in the last year, at least. But the reality is, um, certainly about six months ago, the last report on this said that about 50% of SMEs were being turned down for credit. And to get behind that figure, I guess you need to wonder why. Well, probably for starters, there are definitely increased rules and regulation around businesses actually accessing credit so you know it's it's more it's more difficult for them to get access to it that said, There are equally, uh, I suppose, as much of a burden on the person themselves to ensure that what they're putting forward is actually a good business proposition. And I think a lot of a lot of plans are turned down for that very reason that they actually haven't done their homework. But it still it remains an issue for a lot of different reasons. I think we we need to be educating our SMEs as to what the expectation level is, but also trying to, where possible, remove really, really ridiculous rules and regulations around applying for credit.
0: Yeah, Brian, uh, me and you had a chat about this the other day. And one of the things that came up also the fact that um, small businesses are are listening to language like this, they're reading stories like this, and and perhaps even listening uh, to shows like this and thinking to themselves, well, why should I bother going into a bank? Why should I bother applying for credit? Because I'm not going to get it.
2: Yeah, stories like this are are akin as I said to you the other day to those stories that are leaked in advance of the budget saying oh we're going to take everything from you and then people just stop buying and they stop going into shops and it deflates the domestic economy and stories like this definitely don't help. I came from an event this morning in Thurles at the Thurles Chamber Enterprise Centre where it was about building financial capabilities for business and Banks are lending money. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And as I said before, I meet regularly with the uh, the main banks in South Tipperary to find out what they're doing for businesses. But they lend to viable businesses. But one of the issues here as well about lending to businesses is that businesses need to have a proper plan. And it's, it's almost a financial literacy issue out there as well. So what Werner Hoyer has said is is deeply damaging. If if this was the top story on the 9 o'clock news, I'd be very, very worried because, People are instantly just going to say, well, what's the point in that? Eyes up to heaven, I'm shutting up shop and I'm walking away. Whereas banks are lending. But as Alwyn said, maybe, maybe it's a, right, a good thing, Alwyn, that we actually probably do need people to fill out the forms. Because I don't think we, we should be going back to, you know, something akin to Tom and Father Ted when he's giving Father Ted a lift and he just parks outside the post office and comes out with the money and said, I just didn't have time to fill out the forms. <laughs> no, we need, we, we need to go back to proper accounting systems and proper accountability. But banks are definitely giving out money. I, I think what Ferner Hoyer has said is, is deeply damaging. And I would hope that something like this wouldn't really take hold in, in the psyche of, of, of business uh, SME owners out there, because if they want it and it's a viable business, they should be able to get it.
0: Yeah, and perhaps it's about educating or re-educating both sides as to what to do, what to expect. But certainly from some of the people I've spoken to in the banking sector, it seems to be that SMEs need to perhaps start ignoring the negative news and going in and talking to banks before they even put in applications to see what is going on. And I suppose on the opposite side, banks need to give out a proper explanation as to why applications have been turned down so that SMEs can find a way to go in the next time around and get their application approved as well. Well, that's it for this week's news. My thanks to Alwyn Daw from Irish Business Intelligence and Chamber CEO Brian Cleary. Now, coming up in part two, becoming the largest corn tortilla maker in Europe with Philip Martin from Blanco Nino.